seeking to be all that God's called it to be in these days. And uh, in the moments that we've got, I, I want to just to um, just bring a, a focus to our hearts. Christian spoke to me just a few weeks ago, and uh, we've got a great, uh, just by God's help, we, we try and be very intentional. A little bit echoey, I think, but just on. We try and be very intentional on uh, the ministry, and I think you get that in terms of uh, giving a lot of time to uh, making sure that we uh, sort of carry God's heart in the word to uh, the arena community uh, on Sunday and also during the week. And we're conscious that this uh, season that takes us between now and Christmas uh, is an important time. And uh, we've got some, I think, very relevant ministry that will encourage our journey, encourage us to go along with that journey that Christians so wonderfully shared to us. And uh, so this morning, really, is just to sort of set us up for that, uh, if you like, uh, just as a one-off word. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you may want to go to Acts chapter 13 for a moment or two. Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to read just a couple of verses. Acts 13, it says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius the Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And then in Acts chapter 27 and verse 25, which um, it, you, you may sort of just wonder where we're going with that particular verse, but in the context of where I want to try and take us this morning, uh, I think you'll see why. Paul's in a storm. He's on his way to Rome, but they've, they've hit winds. They're, they're in a sailing vessel, and it seems though everybody's going to be lost. Verse 27, so keep your courage, men, generically, of course, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And then in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, which is often known as the minister's charge, and just two or three weeks ago I was in South Lincolnshire speaking these words over a pastor that was on the beginning of a journey of ministry. But there's a verse there at the end of the charge where Paul, coming to the end of his life, says that I have kept, for the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. But one translation says I have finished the course. And this morning, friends, if you forget everything else, and Gemma's kindly put the title of the message on the screen, I want to encourage us as Arena Church to be staying on course, to be staying on course. And as I thought about this, I realized that it's so important for us to do that as we come to this next season of challenge, of progress, of harvest, of breakthrough. I believe the word this morning, friends, can speak to you if you've never become a believer in Jesus Christ. I get people saying to me, well, I, I won't want to be a Christian because it's boring. I want to say that you've brought into the biggest lie that there's ever been. It is not boring. You'll wonder how many, where you're going to fit it all in when you give your life to Jesus Christ. It is not boring, friends. We do not belong to a boring church. We don't do boring life. We're not into boring services or boring things. We are into what God has called us to be. You can be part of it. You can go on the adventure of your life in following Jesus. You've got to start the course. And for those of us that have committed to it, we understand there are times when things will come to us. And I'll come back to that in a moment too. But in this season of challenge, of progress, of harvest and breakthrough, then we need to continually define as the church, as the local church that God has brought us to here, to define what God has said over us and called us to be for such 
a time as this. You see, this morning, you may think that you're here just by chance, but if you remember Kirk's message last week, he reminded us, without overplaying sovereignty, that God actually brings things together. He brings people together for such a time as this. I'm very conscious, friends, that I work with people in ministry in this house for such a time as this. Could be all sorts of places. Could be in all sorts of places in the country. But what a confidence to know that we're here for such a time as this. You see, if we don't continually define what God's called us to be, other people will try and do it. Events will do it. Circumstances will do it. And they'll seek to knock us off course. And with this in mind, um, I want us to think this morning about being that vessel that God's called us to sail in. During the summer, I was reading, flipping through some old books in, in my, my office. And uh, I, I began to read again the story of the growth of Kensington Temple. And in 1980, uh, the late and great Pastor Wim Lewis, a good friend of Pastor Collins, went to take that church on. He'd been a great church under Eldon Corsi for many years, served our capital city, around about 500 people. And over the next 10 years, friends, it became 5,000 people. And today, it's one of the biggest churches in our nation, run by Colin Dye, has a huge influence in the city and beyond. And I was fascinated to read that when Wim first went to Kensington Temple, he preached a message about what he saw as the ideal church. And he ran to the Antioch church of Acts chapter 13. And as, he, as, he, as I read through, there was a few sort of things that he, that, he, um, that he listed. And it got me thinking. He sent me back to the 3rd of April 2009. Because in this church at that particular time, we were doing a series called The Book With No End. It was on the Acts of the Apostles. And I spoke on the flagship church. Wasn't quite sure what I was talking about. I think it's got a lot more colour to it since but we talked about the Antioch model for the church that God had called us to be. And as I read that book again and was inspired afresh by a man that lived his life right to the very end, died of a heart attack and he was ministering right to the very end of his life. He stayed the course. He stayed on track with what God called him to do. I, I felt God speak to me again just for this morning to remind us that that's the picture that he increasingly wants us to work in and so i run back to that i brought some freshness hopefully to it for this morning but here's the truth friends arena church for such a time as this is called to be a flagship church it's called to be a church that stays on course it's called to be a church that understands its definition in this day for the cause of the kingdom the flagship church in ancient times would be the church that led the fleets it would be the church, it would be the, the, the vessel that carried the admiral. In other words, it had authority. It was, it was, it was the ship that the, that the others looked to. And this morning, I want us to think that we're on that vessel. Some of you are getting seasick already. And we're sailing the waters of life. Sometimes, friends, we're going into completely new waters. Belfield Street, a great big unit. We're all sort of into new waters. How's it all going to work out? How's it all going to come in? How's all the money going to come? God's with us. God's going to do it, friends. And whenever we're tempted, both personally and corporately, to steer off track, I want us to be determined in our hearts in this important day in which we live to stay on course. You see, since February 2009, we've gained some new crew. 
they've become devoted followers of Jesus. And not only that, but they've actually started to serve in the ship's company, and it's fantastic to see. We've also had some people jump off the ship, some for good reasons, and on some occasions, sadly, not for so good. The waters on occasions have been wonderfully calm, and we've serenely sort of made progress. And then on other occasions, they become choppy and stormy. We've had to set the sails, and we've had to put, hold the rigging down, and we've had to hold on to what God said, because we're determined to continue to be that vessel that sails the seas of the kingdom of God. Many of you would have read over the years of the devastation that can take place when a ship goes off course, or when a ship ignores its navigational direction. A hundred years ago this year, we commemorated the, 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 the sinking of the Titanic as it, as it set sail. Uh, just an amazing story of lots of people going to America full of hope. And uh, the reflection of that a hundred years later is that actually there was some real ignorance. There was some real dismissing of warning signs that were clearly there. They wanted to break the blue ribbon and be the fastest ship that ever got across the Atlantic. You know the story. Hundreds of people met eternity in a moment. You see the pictures sometimes when those great oil tankers have run aground, particularly in the Americas, the devastation done to habitat and environment. That, uh, that liner a couple of years ago, you know, that hit the rocks and apparently the captain was waving at folks on the sidelines, completely ignoring what was taking place on the bridge. And all of a sudden, people are sort of scrambling for their lives. John Partington went on the, the, the associated boat on a holiday a few weeks later, just typical of John. And uh, here's, here's the truth, so we have to keep on track. You see, the enemy loves to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. He's no problem, friends, about holding your life and holding this church. He's no problem about us running aground. He's no problem with us at times thinking that we can navigate the way better than he's told us to. And he just sits there and lets us hit the rocks. But that's not the heart of God. The heart of God for his church in these days, friends, the church that he loves and gave his life for, the church that he's built in relentlessly across the earth, is that we would be the church that God has called us to be. And I'm not just talking about the church in Australia. Thank God for it. And America. I'm not just talking about the great growth in South America and Asia and, and the subcontinent, friends. I'm talking about the church in the UK. If ever the church in the UK needs to stand up and be the church, it is today. It's today. Unashamedly, unapologetically being what God has called us to be. Staying on course. And it may be that you're a young person and you're the only put, you're going back to school this week. You know that you're the only Christian in your school class, your college class, your uni class. It may be that you're the only Christian in that blasphemous canteen where Jesus' name is taken in vain every day of next week. It may be that you're seeking to impact in your community, in your neighborhood, and sometimes people seem to push you aside and shun you simply because they know you've got a church on a Sunday. But here's the truth, friends. God says today we need to keep our courage. Because what God is determined to do, God will do for his glory and for his praise. And in the moments we've got, I want to remind you of a few things that a flagship church does when it stays on course. Firstly, it's a worshipping church. In Acts chapter 13, it says that while they were worshipping the Lord, the Spirit of God says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called you to do. 
We know that worship, friends, is more than singing songs, but it is singing songs. We know that worship is more than coming to church on Sunday, but it is coming to church on a Sunday. We know that worship is more than the building, but buildings are really important. In other words, friends, it is not just about today because today sets us up for tomorrow. But whilst they were together worshipping the Lord, revelation came. And how many of you know, friends, that when God can get a community of people that connect with him in spirit and in truth to begin to worship God, God begins to speak. God begins to bring a revelation of his purposes into people's hearts. And I'm so sorry at times that we've got in a right mess about the word revelation. And even the book revelation. Because people wanted to get revelation from revelation and they're not worshippers. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You can pontificate forever on what all the things mean in revelation. We've got some broken people to reach, friends, on the doorstep of our church that need Jesus Christ. That's the revelation. That's the revelation. But whilst they were worshipping the Lord, God spoke to them. God spoke to them. And I'm thankful, friends, that we've got a committed worship team in our church that seek to bring us to the intimacy of God's presence week after week. Guys, you need to keep going. You need to take courage. You need to stay on course so that God can break in and speak to us. Jesus at the center of it all. It's what we call, friends, being a Christocentric church. In other words, at the center of this church is not Christian thought. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He's at the center of everything that we do. He's the reason we've met this morning. He's the reason that we do what we do. Because we are centered around Jesus. That's what a worshiping community does. It centers around Jesus. Let's continue to be those people that wholeheartedly engage with the presence of God. I've had people say to me, and I've said it from the platform before, they sort of caught their head on the side and says, if only the worship could have gone on this morning. In other words, it's a euphemism for saying, you cut the meeting short, you quenched the spirit, you sort of stopped it all, and we could have been there till I passed one. Well, maybe we could, but there's people got to go. And the reality is that if you didn't understand that the worship always goes on, you don't understand worship. Because worship tomorrow is in the office. Worship is tomorrow in the school. Worship is taking the presence of Jesus. Friends, if we'll live it Monday to Saturday, what's Sunday going to be like? When we connect together as a community of believers for the worship of God. But here's the truth. Sometimes people want us to put worship on on a Sunday and they have not done worship in the week. No wonder it's hard work. You're called to be a worshiper. You're called to lay down your life. As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. A worshiping church. Secondly, friends, a church that stays on course is a discipling church. Because in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. We could say a lot about that. It's an incredible phrase. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, Paul, who was to become met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. A discipling church. Jesus said in John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. What is a disciple? Well, it's a proper Christian. That's what a disciple is. It's a proper Christian. Sometimes, friends, in some of my reflective moments, I get a bit panicky. I wonder sometimes, if I can be honest, if I'm trying to get some people to be Christians that don't really want to be Christians. 
But here's the truth. When you pitch up not only to be a Christian, but also a disciple, then you're a proper one. Because that's what God's called us to be. Here's a definition of discipleship. It is being in the process towards Christ-likeness, and it's a lifetime. It's being in the process towards Christ-likeness. The word, the original word in the New Testament, the TTs, carries the thought of learner. Not just learning intellectually, but learning that impacts our heart, that changes our life for the glory of God. So that we might serve him in what he's called us to be. And we need to stay on course with the discipleship journey that God has mandated this church to live in for his praise and for his honour. Notice in Antioch, they weren't called Christians and then called disciples. They were disciples. And some of you will be aware that the word Christian originally was a nickname. People saw how the people lived in Antioch. What can we call these people? Jesus Christ, that's who's made the difference in their life. Christians. Christians. Somebody comes from Liverpool, you call him a Liverpoolian. Well, they all felt like Stephen Gerrard, you know what? (laughs) If they come from Glasgow, the Glaswegians are all like calves in the church. They come from Manchester, the Mancunians is a nickname. It defines where they're from. And these people were defined by who they followed. His name was Jesus. What if people can say that about us? What can we call that, Joshua? He's a Christian. A Christian. And friends, they were defined as Christians, not so that they then became disciples, but because they were disciples. On a journey towards Christ-likeness. Arena Church, friends, in staying the course, is devoted to raising up Christ followers that will not only sit on seats and come on a Sunday, but will be people that were committed to a journey of maturity. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to challenge you about being baptized because it's the next step of being publicly declared as a disciple. We're going to talk to you about the life of the Holy Spirit. We're going to teach from the church about our sexual ethics. We're going to talk, friends, about our stewardship and giving. We're going to encourage people to live in the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to deal with our attitudes because that's what the Bible does for disciples. And the call is to die to the self-life and soft and 21st century culture wants to preen it. And we must be different. Christian had an interesting conversation with a couple some months ago. Nice couple. Been great if they'd have come to Arena Church. And they went up to him and said to Christian, we really like the church, thank you for the welcome been great but we're going to another church because this church is too challenging for us well brothers and sisters arena church what do we do with that this church is too challenging for us so we're going to go to another church that is less challenging friends i want to say to us there is no retreats from the journey of discipleship even though sadly we have to see sometimes people go through the door so we're not coming to this church it's too challenging it's too on the words it's too encouraging people to be what's the call we stay on track friends when we become a ministry team led church thirdly in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1 it describes prophets and teachers and the prophets and teachers by revelation then did release apostles Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says that Jesus Christ the risen saviour has given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to the church not to do all the work of the ministry but to raise people up to do the work of the ministry, to protect people, to bring people to maturity, to knit the church together in harmony and unity so that we might be all that God has called us to be. 
Friends, as I see ministry expressing itself in the New Testament, I see time and time again that it expressed itself in a plurality of gift. Now, in a number of occasions, sort of pre-summer, and during the summer, I found myself talking about team. And you need to know, friends, that the privilege that you give to me... Where are we going? Sorry about that. But the privilege, they've not found a sweatproof um, sort of uh, mic. But the privilege that you give to me to be released into the area is also on the understanding that I take Arena Church with me. Arena Church pours out of me. And people get it. I want to tell you, friends, that one of the things I can talk about with real persuasion and conviction is team ministry. Because I live in it and I operate in it. I understand that most churches don't. They really don't. I'll talk about team. But at the end of the day, if team's defined by somebody always getting their own way, at the ignorance of everybody else, that is not a team. It's not a team. I got somebody even talking to me recently. He was a gift ministry wanting to bring another gift ministry onto the team. He says, of course, he'll have to come under me. I tell you what, why can't he come alongside you? What's all that about? What's about, friends, is, is insecurity on wanting to be the one that's above everybody else. I don't see it in the New Testament. You tell me who led the Antioch church. I don't know who it was, but they had leaders. So we operate in team. The other thing is that they had leadership. And the other thing I understand when I talk about team is that most churches don't want leadership. They really don't. They want to determine how the church is led. And I tell you, friends, that's sure to knock us into the rocks if we go that way. Can I say with some humility as I move on briefly that Arena Church ought to be thankful that the team model leadership is exactly what we're trying to implement before your very eyes. It's not elitist, it's not separatist, and I believe it carries the heart of God. Number four, a church that stays on track is a missional church. Because in verses, verse 3 of Acts chapter 13, it says they sent them off. So having worshipped, having received the word of the Lord, they then sent them. In other words, they committed them to mission. Mission is in the very DNA of this church. It's an outward-facing church. I tell you what, friends, if you just come to this church saying, what's this church doing for me? It's going to be an uncomfortable ride for you. Because we want to do something for you, but to an end goal, that you would be missional. That you would reach out and face other people and carry what you've got to them. A missional church. I get people in our church saying, you see, I'm passionate about the doorstep of our church. That's fantastic. So, food bank, the unit, furniture, all those things is the Jerusalem, the local. But Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, not only Jerusalem, Judea, the M1 corridor. This M1 corridor breaking to the right and to the left, regionally. And then what about Samaria, cross-culturally? Breaking ground fence with people who practice their first languages in English. And then if you need a wider picture than that, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Hasn't it been fantastic even in the last two or three years that from this church people have gone to the ends of the earth with mission. He went to the ends of the earth the other day with work. Had a quick look around Perth and then came back. Amazing. Not Perth, Scotland, Perth, whoa, you know, the other side of the world's. A missional church, friends, 
And I want to tell you that most churches historically go from mission to maintenance without realizing it. In other words, they start becoming outward focused and they start to get involved in the triviality of church life about where I sit and who's going to make that decision and who's going to do that. And most, hap- most churches that takes place with, with them not perceiving that it's happened. And this church, friends, is not committed to simply maintaining the status quo. It's a church that's committed to mission, to being outward facing. Josh spoke to me the other week about a young man that he's spoken to. And I won't mention any names. In fact, I don't know the guy's name, but I think he was in our church three or four weeks ago. And uh, Josh got in his face, rightly so, because he says, our church hasn't got a vision. Well, I want to tell you, friends, if you're in a church without a vision, you need to get out of it. Because without a vision, the people perish. The Bible says that without a vision, people fall apart. It may take 30 years for it to perish. A long, slow death, but it's going to perish. Because vision glues us together. Vision makes us missional. Vision causes us to look outward bound. And friends, today, this is determining to be a church that stays on course with a missional vision. As someone says, people are always on our mind. There's a song coming on, but we won't go there. Number five, a church that stays on track is a generous church. I put this point in with no thought in my mind whatsoever to what Christian had shared this morning. I really want you to hear that. I really didn't. But at the end of Acts chapter 11, some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, one named Agabus, and told of an impending famine that was coming to Judea. What did the brothers do in Antioch? They took up an offering and says, there you go, son. Let's go and bless the church that's in more need than we are. A generous church. Our DNA booklet says, we will recognize that we are blessed by God's amazing generosity to us, and so liberated to this journey of a generous life. How about you coming, friends, and staking a place in the ground in this season of your life in Arena Church to be more generous than you've ever been? You've heard this morning, it's not necessarily defined by how much you give, but we need to bring our best to God. We need folks to stay on track. We need people to keep the course. Let's just forget tithing for a moment. Can I be bold with you? If 100 people gave 100 quid a month into the church and gift aided it, it gives us a great foundation to build upon. We're not asking for squillions. And I assume, friends, even in the tithing principle, there are people around the church that earn more than a thousand quid a month. In other words, you know, we need to make it practical. We need to bring it right down to what's achievable. And the reality is we can do this through generous-hearted people. Number six, a church that stays on track is an accountable church. At the end of Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas released that ministry trip, miracles, salvations, church was planted, healings. In today, friends, they'd been on the first TV program telling everybody about it and how wonderful they were. But what did these guys do? I like it. They went back to the church and reported all that had taken place on the journey. In other words, they were utterly accountable. Be a lone ranger if you like, friends. It's not going to work. Young people, try and bypass the processes of accountability and authority in the local church because you want to go at 150 mile into your destiny. It is not going to work. God's called us to stay on track by being utterly accountable to one another and that will lift the lid of potential and destiny over all that we do. And lastly, 
staying on course church is an advancing church. At the end of Acts chapter 15, there'd been a big conference in Jerusalem. More of that in the Galatians series in the autumn. But the reality was, friends, that there were people that were seeking to put unnecessary burdens on people that had become followers of Jesus. It's a recurring issue of history. It's called religion. And they came to some definition of the way ahead and says it seems good to us and the Holy Ghost in terms of what's been said. And then in verse 35, it says these words. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. In other words, they got back to being the main, making the main thing, the main thing, an advancing church. On occasions, friends, the waves will seem mountainous, the waters perilous, the obstacles dangerous. But the church that God has called us to be, the vessel that he's called us to sail in, must never lose sight of the progress and advancement that God has called us for, for such a time as this. It's not about Christian, it's not about me, it's not about the executive team, it's about you being a crew member in this vessel. Let me close with two stories. Firstly, in 1620, reading just this week again about the Pilgrim Fathers that set sail from Plymouth, UK, to go to what was called the New World, the USA. You need to realize, friends, that nearly 400 years ago, these people went primarily out of persecution and opposition for the gospel. They were nonconformists. They refused to compromise to the religious ideals of the day and stood up for the cause of Jesus. They were Christocentric, and they paid for it with a great price. They set sail as the Pilgrim Fathers. What a wonderful description of people committing to a journey. And uh, the journey, it rough seas on the way, as it always does over the waters, as well as fair winds. On Christmas Day, 1620, they arrived at what is now known as New Plymouth on the east coast of America. And from there began to build a community of people that was laid on the principles of the kingdom of God. I say all that, friends, a fascinating story in itself. But when churches will rise up to be flagship churches, when churches will rise up and make ground that other churches can't, guess what happens? Others begin to follow. Because here's what happened after that band of 120 people set sail on that ship in 1620. In the next 180 years, 11 million people made the same journey across the Atlantic to the States. Because somebody did it first. And I believe, friends, that all around this area, there are churches that are going to get a fresh passion for the broken, for the lost. There are churches that are going to move out of maintenance into mission. There are churches that are going to recommit not to leading, but to being led. There are churches that are going to find a new season of generosity. I believe all across our nation, friends, God's going to do something that he's not done for a long time. It's called revival. I believe, friends, that when the enemy's done his worst, God's going to raise up the kingdom for the glory of God. But it needs people to say, we're going to do it now. We're going to press ahead. We're going to believe for some to follow us on. Because we're going to stay the course. And then lastly, a book that many of you have read is called Courageous Leadership. It's become a classic in the Christian book market. And whether you're a Christian leader or somebody that expresses leadership, or even just a believer on the journey, it's well worth a read. The final paragraphs of the last chapter of that book talk about the writer going to see his friend, who sadly was ravaged with cancer terminally and was within days of eternity. <clears throat> 
They exchange conversations which you can only do heartfelt in those particular contexts. And it seems the Spirit of God helps us in those particular moments. And as grown men, they express love for one another and thank each other for the friendship journey that had caused them to be bound together in the ministry of the kingdom of God. And then the man that was dying says, I've got you a present. How about that for a generous heart? And he says, I'd like you to open it now. You ever been in that pressure where somebody gives you a present and they're almost going to get a a bigger kick out of giving it to you than you are going to get it? It was one of those things. And uh, knowing that the visitor to his bedside was a, a committed sailor, loved sailing boats as his hobby, he brought him a silver mariner's compass. And uh, the guy pushed back and says, you should never have bothered. He says, no, he says, Bill, you gave my life direction from the day we met. God used you to show me how to live my life with purpose and meaning, and I can't thank you enough. He says, look on the back. So he looked on the back, and he had three words engraved on the back of the compass. It simply said, stay the course. Stay the course. Arena Church, as we come to this first Sunday morning, in September, about 17 Sundays to Christmas, lots of things to do, teaching that's going to roll out, ministry and prayer, Belfield Street complex going to be completely renovated to continually hold the broken on the doorstep of our church, lots of things before us, I want to encourage us this morning to stay on course, not to be sidetracked, not to run to the challenges of this world, because I tell you, they're temporal, they're shallow, They will not satisfy the deepest being of your heart. I believe there are young people here this morning going back to the word of God to us last Sunday that need to go deeper. You need just to really commit it all to God. And sometimes when our courage fails, God says again, take courage. Because the things that I said I would do, guess what? I'm going to do them. And one day, friends, if we can use it corporately as against what the apostle Paul used personally, we could stand before Jesus We can thank him for the journey for such a time as this. And we can say with gladness, confidence, boldness, and thankfulness that we've stayed on course. Amen.